and welcome to Radio Drama Revival, the show dedicated to stories told through the medium of sound, showcasing the diversity and vitality of modern audio theater. Here's your news, reviews, discussion, and of course, stories. I'm your host, Fred, and that great theme music is by Roger Gregg of Crazy Dog Audio Theater. And today we are going to uh, one of my favorite uh, groups in independent audio drama out there, uh, Chatterbox Audio Theater. Uh, Chatterbox, we've had on this show uh, over and on and off over the years, uh, their own original work, such as the uh, Ogle-winning Dead Girl, um, as well as their uh, classic work, um, the adaptations of Greek myths, um, adaptations of uh, stories, uh, you know, sort of famous public domain stories. They've done some really inspired um, adaptations, um, such as The Dead by James Joyce, an interpretation of Dead and Gone, which I thought was absolutely marvelous. And... um, Yet something more ambitious this time, which is an adaptation of Sophocles' Oedipus the King. Now, if you're looking at what uh, kind of play you would like to go ahead and interpret for audio drama, you could pick um, easier choices, I guess you could say, uh, than a Greek classic. Um, But Bob Arnold and all the folks at Chatterbox are all about um, pushing the boundaries and trying um, to challenge themselves as well as to do great work in audio drama. And so they have done this uh, most impressive thing, which is to uh, take a really fresh um, new English translation of Oedipus the King and um, just render it in its uh, original glory, this sort of timeless tale of uh, people about to be uh, dejected from their homelands um, and a sort of dark truth of the human experience revealed um, in the in, in this whole uh, setup of Greek myth. So um, that's what we have for you starting today. It's a three-act play. Each act is about 30 minutes, and the first act will be for you today. Um, it is uh, sort of uh, a bare stage uh, where there is not a huge amount of sound effects, at least in the beginning, but you'll see the story does build as we move into it. Um, and they've got some stellar performances by um, the Chatterboxers. Um, Oedipus the King, um, coming up, right up, I've got to say, uh, you, we we're about to tr- uh, go back 2,400 years to Greece. Um, we also can look forward to the radio drama's future. One of the things that's very exciting um, happening right now is that Dirk Maggs' adaptation of Neil Gaiman's Neverwhere is about to finally become live. It's uh, going out on BBC Radio 4 the 16th of March. Um, we're going to have uh, we we're going to be following this with Radio Drama Revival. It's up on the Radio Drama Vi- Revival blog page now. Um, there's a you know kind of a lot of press and excitement in the blogosphere um, outside of the world of audio drama about this production. Um, not the least of which is because it's got a whole bunch of A-list actors in it, including James McAvoy, Natalie Dormer, Christopher Lee, and others. It's just going to be an awesome show. Um, March 16th on Radio 4 BBC. We'll put links up. Uh, when you know where we can find them. Apparently, that's going to be available as a podcast. Um, and uh, as I say in the post that went up with Radio Drama Revival this week, this is an example of Radio Drama's future. If um, you know if people who are in the entertainment industry are keeping their eyes open about what the potential is of taking a fantastic novel, great actors, an awesome director like Dirk, and um, use what uh, Neil Gaiman calls this limitless um, budget of CGI meaning your imagination, uh, to render these things, it uh, really does exciting things for the genre. For the genre. So I think we'll all enjoy Neverwhere. Um, I love Neil Gaiman, um, and I can't wait to hear this adaptation. On the 16th on BBC Radio 4. Um, keep you up to date about that. Um, here's a quick little clip from the BBC with James McAvoy. My name is Richard Mayhew. I've got a job in London, a fiancé, a flat. At least I did have until two days ago. See, I helped a girl called Door 
Now something strange has happened and it's like I'm falling through gaps, slipping through time. I need to get back. My life. I'm not going mad. Am I? Neverwhere by Neil Gaiman, starring James McAvoy on Radio 4 and Radio 4 Extra. All right. Looking forward to that March 16th. Now, back to the past, we've got uh, Reddit Chatterbox Audio Theater's Oedipus the King, Episode 1. Enjoy. Chatterbox Audio Theater presents Oedipus the King by Sophocles, translated by Ian Johnston. Act 1. My children, latest generation born from Cadmus, why are you sitting here with wreathed sticks in supplication to me while the city fills with incense, chants, and cries of pain? Children, it would not be appropriate for me to learn of this from any other source, so I have come in person. I, Oedipus, whose fame all men acknowledge. But you there, old man, tell me. You seem to be the one who ought to speak for those assembled here. What feeling brings you to me, fear or desire? You can be confident that I will help. I shall assist you willingly in every way. I would be a hard-hearted man indeed if I did not pity suppliants like these. Oedipus, ruler of my native land, you see how people here of every age are crouching down around your altars, some fledglings barely strong enough to fly, and others bent by age, with priests as well, for I'm priest of Zeus, and these ones here, the pick of all our youth. The other groups sit in the marketplace with suppliant sticks, or else in front of palaces, two shrines, or where Isminus prophesies with fire. For our city, as you yourself can see, is badly shaken. She cannot raise her head above the depths of so much surging death. Disease infects fruit blossoms in our land. Disease infects our herds of grazing cattle, makes women in labor lose their children. And deadly pestilence, that fiery god, swoops down to blast the city, emptying the house of Cadmus, and fills black Hades with groans and howls. These children and myself now sit here by your home, not because we think you're equal to the gods. No, we judge you the first of men in what happens in this life and in our interactions with the gods. For you came here to our Cadmian city and freed us from the tribute we were paying to that cruel singer. And yet you knew no more than we did and had not been taught. In their stories, the people testify how, with the gods' help, you gave us back our lives. So now, Oedipus, our king, most powerful in all men's eyes, we're here as suppliants, all begging you to find some help for us, either by listening to a heavenly voice or learning from some other human being. 
For in my view, men of experience provide advice which gives the best results. So now you, best of men, raise up our state, act to consolidate your fame. For now, thanks to your eagerness in earlier days, the city celebrates you as its savior. Don't let our memory of your ruling here declare that we were first set right again and later fell. No, restore our city so that it stands secure. In those times past, you brought us joy, and with good omens too. Be that same man today. If you are to rule as you are doing now, it's better to be king in a land of men than in a desert. An empty ship or city wall is nothing if no men share your life together there. My poor children, I know why you have come. I am not ignorant of what you yearn for, for I well know that you are ill, and yet, sick as you are, there is not one of you whose illness equals mine. Your agony comes to each one of you as his alone, a special pain for him and no one else. But the soul inside me sorrows for myself and for the city and for you all together. You are not rousing me from a deep sleep. You must know. I've been shedding many tears and in my wandering thoughts, exploring many pathways. After a careful search, I followed up the one thing I could find and acted on it. So I have sent away my brother-in-law, son of Menesius, Creon, to Pythian Apollo's shrine, to learn from him what I might do or say to save our city. But when I count the days, the time he's been away, I now worry what he's doing, for he's been gone too long. Well past the time he should have taken. But when he comes... I'll be a wicked man if I do not act on all the God reveals. What you have said is most appropriate, for these men here have just informed me that Creon is approaching. Lord Apollo, as he returns, may fine shining fortune, bright as his countenance, attend on him. It seems the news he brings is good. If not, he would not wear that wreath around his head, a laurel thickly packed with berries. We'll know soon enough he's within earshot. My royal kinsman, child of Menesius, what message from the god do you bring us? Good news! I tell you, even troubles difficult to bear will all end happily if events lead to the right conclusion. What is the oracle? So far, your words inspire in me no confidence or fear. If you wish to hear the news in public, I'm prepared to speak. Or we could step inside. Speak out to everyone! The grief I feel for these citizens is even greater than any pain I feel for my own life. Then let me report what I have heard from the god. Lord Phoebus clearly orders us to drive away the polluting stain this land has harbored, which will not be healed if we keep nursing it. What sort of cleansing? How shall it be done? By banishment, or atone for murder by shedding blood again. This blood brings on the storm which blasts our state. And the one whose fate the god revealed, what sort of man is he? Before you came, my lord, 
to steer our ship of state. Laius ruled this land. I have heard that, but I never saw the man. Laius was killed. And now the god is clear. Those murderers, he tells us, must be punished, whoever they may be. And where are they? In what country? Where am I to find a trace of this ancient crime? It will be hard to track. Here in Thebes, so said the god. What is sought is found, but what is overlooked escapes. Hmm. When Laius fell in bloody death, where was he? At home, or in his fields, or in another land? He was abroad, on his way to Delphi. That's what he told us. He began the trip but did not return. Was there no messenger, no companion, who made the journey with him and witnessed what took place? A person who might provide some knowledge men could use? They all died. Except for one who was afraid and ran away. There was only one thing she could inform us of with confidence about the things she saw. What was that? We might get somewhere if we had one fact. We could find many things if we possessed some slender hope to get us going. She told us it was robbers who attacked them. Not just a single man, a gang of them. They came on with force and killed them. How would a thief have dared to do this? Unless he had financial help? From Thebes? That's what we guessed. But once Laius was dead, we were in trouble, so no one sought revenge. When the ruling king had fallen in this way? What bad trouble blocked your path, preventing you from looking into it? It was the Sphinx. She sang her enigmatic song and thus forced us to put aside something we found obscure. To look into the urgent problem we now faced? Then I will start afresh. And once again shed light on darkness. It is most fitting that Apollo demonstrates his care for the dead man. And worthy of you, too. And so as is right, you will see how I work with you, seeking vengeance for this land as well as for the god. This polluting stain I will remove, not for some distant friend, but for myself. For whoever killed this man may soon enough desire to turn his hand in the same way against me, too, and kill me. Thus, in avenging Laius, I serve myself. But now, my children, as quickly as you can, stand up from these altar steps and take your suppliant branches. Someone must call the Theban people to assemble here. I'll do everything I can, with the gods' help. This will all come to light successfully, or else it will prove our common ruin. Let us get up, children, for this man has willingly declared just what we came for. And may Phoebus, who sent this oracle, come as our savior and end our sickness. O oh, sweet-speaking voice of Zeus, you have come to glorious Thebes from golden Pytho, but what is your intent? My fearful heart twists on the rack and shakes with fear. O oh, Delian healer, for whom we cry aloud in holy awe, what obligation will you demand from me? A thing unknown, or now renewed with the revolving years? Immortal voice, O child of golden hope, speak to me. 
First I call on you, Athena the Immortal, daughter of Zeus, and on your sister too, Artemis, who guards our land and sits on her glorious round throne in our marketplace, and on Phoebus, who shoots from far away. O oh, you three guardians against death, appear to me. If before now you have ever driven off a fiery plague to keep away disaster from the city and have banished it, then come to us this time as well. Alas, the pains I bear are numberless. My people now all sick with plague. Our minds can find no weapons to serve as our defense. Now the offspring of our splendid earth no longer grow. Nor do our women, crying out in labor, get their relief from a living newborn child. As you can see, one by one they swoop away, off to the shores of the evening god, like birds, faster than fire, which no one can resist. Our city dies. We've lost count of all the dead. Her sons lie in the dirt, unpitied, unlamented. Corpses spread the pestilence, while youthful wives and gray-haired mothers on the altar steps wail everywhere and cry in supplication, seeking to relieve their agonizing pain. Their solemn chants ring out. They mingle with the voices of lament. O oh, Zeus's golden daughter, send your support and strength, your lovely countenance. And that ravenous Ares, god of killing, who now consumes me as he charges on with no bronze shield, but howling battle cries. Let him turn his back and quickly leave this land with a fair following wind to carry him to the great chambers of Amphitrite or inhospitable waves of Thrace. For if destruction does not come at night, then day arrives to see it does its work. O you who wield that mighty flash of fire, O Father Zeus, with your lightning blast, let Ares be destroyed. O Lycian Lord, how I wish those arrows from the golden string of your bent bow with their all-conquering force would wing out to champion us against our enemy, and the blazing fires of Artemis as well, with which she races through the Lycian hills. I call the god who binds his hair with gold, the one whose name our country shares, the one to whom the Menads shout their cries, Dionysus with his radiant face. May he come to us with his flaming torchlight, our ally against Ares, a god dishonored among gods. You pray, but if you listen now to me, you'll get your wish. Hear what I have to say, and treat your own disease. Then you may hope to find relief from your distress. I shall speak as one who is a stranger to the story, a stranger to the crime. If I alone were tracking down this act, I'd not get far without a single clue. That being the case, for it was after the event that I became a citizen of Thebes, I now proclaim the following to all of you Cadmians. Whoever among you knows the man it was who murdered Laius, son of Labdicus, I order him to reveal it all to me. And if the murderer's afraid, I tell him to avoid the danger of the major charge by speaking out against himself. If so, he will be sent out from this land unhurt, and undergo no further punishment. 
If someone knows the killer is a stranger from some other state, let him not stay mute. As well as a reward, he'll earn my thanks. But if he remains quiet, if anyone through fear hides himself or a friend of his against my orders, here's what I shall do, so listen to my words. For I decree that no one in this land in which I rule as your own king shall give that killer shelter or talk to him, whoever he may be, or act in concert with him during prayers or sacrifice or sharing lustral water. Ban him from your homes, every one of you, for he is our pollution as the Pythian God has just revealed to me. In doing this, I'm acting as an ally of the God and of dead Laius too. And I pray, whoever the man is who did this crime, one unknown person acting on his own or with companions, the worst of agonies will wear out his wretched life. I pray, too, that if he should become an honored guest in my own home and with my knowledge, I may suffer all those things I've just called down upon the killers. And I urge you now to make sure all these orders take effect for my sake, for the sake of the God, and for our barren, godless, ruined land. For in this matter, even if a god were not prompting us, it would not be right for you to simply leave things as they are and not to purify the murder of a man who was so noble and who was your king. You should have looked into it. But now, I possess the ruling power which Laius held in earlier days. I have his bed and wife. She would have borne his children if his hopes to have a son had not been disappointed. Children from a common mother might have linked Laius and myself, but as it turned out, fate swooped down onto his head. So now I will fight on his behalf as if this matter concerned my father. And I will strive to do everything I can to find him, the man who spilled his blood, and thus avenge the son of Labdicus and Polydorus, of Cadmus and Agnor from old times. As for those who do not follow what I urge, I pray the gods send them no fertile land, no, nor any children in their women's wombs. May they all perish in our present fate or one more hateful still. To you others, you Cadmians who support my efforts, may justice, our ally, and all the gods attend on us with kindness. Always. My lord, since you extend your oath to me, I will say this. 
I am not the murderer, nor can I tell you who the killer is. As for what you're seeking, it's for Apollo who launched this search to state who did it. That is well said. But no man has power to force the gods to speak against their will. May I then suggest what seems to me the next best course of action? You may indeed, and if there is a third course too, don't hesitate to let me know. Our Lord Tiresias, I know, can see into things like Lord Apollo. From him, my king, a man investigating this might well find out the details of the crime. I've taken care of that. It's not something I could overlook. At Creon's urging, I have dispatched two messengers to him and have been wondering for some time now why he has not come. Apart from that, there are rumors, but inconclusive ones from a long time ago. What kind of rumors? I'm looking into every story. It was said that Laius was killed by certain travelers. Yes, I heard as much, but no one has seen the one who did it. Well, if the killer has any fears, once he hears your curses on him, he will not hold back, for they are serious. When a man has no fear of doing the act, he's not afraid of words. No, not in the case where no one stands there to convict him. But at last, Tiresias is being guided here, our godlike prophet, in whom the truth resides more so than in all other men. Tiresias! Oedipus! You who understand all things... What can be taught and what cannot be spoken of? What goes on in heaven and here on earth? You know, although you cannot see, how sick our state is. And so we find in you alone, great seer, our shield and savior. For Phoebus Apollo, in case you have not heard the news, has sent us an answer to our question. The only cure for this infecting pestilence is to find the men who murdered Laius and kill them or else expel them from this land as exiles. So do not withhold from us your prophecies, in voices of the birds or by some other means. Save this city and yourself. Rescue me. Deliver us from this pollution by the dead. We are in your hands. For a mortal man, the finest labor he can do is help with all his power. Other human beings. Alas! Oh, alas! How dreadful it can be to have wisdom when it brings no benefit to the man possessing it. This I knew, but it had slipped my mind. Otherwise I would not have journeyed here. What's wrong? You've come but seem so sad. Oh, let me go home. You must bear your burden to the very end, and I will carry mine if you'll agree with me. What you are saying is not customary, and shows little love toward the city-state which nurtured you, if you deny us your prophetic voice. I see your words are also out of place. I do not speak for fear of doing the same. If you know something, then by heaven do not turn away. We are your suppliants, all of us. We bend our knees to you. You are all ignorant. I will not reveal the troubling things inside me, which I can call your grief as well. What are you saying? Do you know and will not say? Do you intend to betray me and destroy the city? I will cause neither me nor you distress. Why do you vainly question me like this? 
You will not learn a thing from me. You most disgraceful of disgraceful men. You'd move something made of stone to rage. Will you not speak out? Will your stubbornness never have an end? You blame my temper, but do not see the one which lives within you. Instead, you are finding fault with me. What man who listened to these words of yours would not be enraged? You insult the city. Yet events will still unfold for all my silence. Since they will come, you must inform me. I will say nothing more. Fume on about it, if you wish, as fiercely as you can. I will. In my anger, I will not conceal just what I make of this. You should know. I get the feeling you conspired in the act and played your part as much as you could do, short of killing him with your own hands. If you could use your eyes, I would have said that you had done this work all by yourself. Is that so? Then I would ask you to stand by the very words which you yourself proclaimed, and from now on not speak to me or these men. For the accursed polluter of this land is you. You dare to utter shameful words like this? Do you think you can get away with it? <laughs> I, I am getting away with it. The truth within me makes me strong. Who taught you this? It could not have been your craft. You did. I did not want to speak, but you incited me. What do you mean? Speak it again so I can understand you more precisely. Did you not grasp my words before? Or are you trying to test me with your question? I did not fully understand your words. Tell me again. I say that you yourself are the very man you are looking for. That's twice you've stated that disgraceful lie. Something you'll regret. Shall I tell you more so you can grow even more enraged? As much as you desire, it will be useless. I say that with your dearest family, unknown to you, you are living in disgrace. You have no idea how bad things are. Do you really think you can just speak out, say things like this, and still remain unpunished? Yes, I can, if the truth has any strength. It does, but not for you. Truth is not in you. For your ears, your mind, your eyes are blind. You are a wretched fool to use harsh words, which all men soon enough will use to curse you. You live in endless darkness of the night, so you can never injure me, or any man who can glimpse daylight. It is not your fate to fall because of me. It's up to Apollo to make that happen. He will be enough. Is this something Creon has devised? Or is it your invention? Oh, Creon is no threat. You have made this trouble on your own. Oh, riches. Ruling power. Skill after skill surpassing all in this life's rivalries. How much envy you must carry with you. If for this kingly office which the city gave me, for I did not seek it out, Creon, my old trusted family friend, has secretly conspired to overthrow me and paid off a double-dealing quack like this, a crafty, bogus priest who can only see his own advantage, who in his special art is absolutely blind. Come on, tell me, 
how you have ever given evidence of your wise prophecy. When the Sphinx, that singing bitch, was here, you said nothing to set the people free. Why not? Her riddle was not something the first man to stroll along could solve. A prophet was required. And there the people saw your knowledge was no use. Nothing from birds or picked up from the gods. But then I came, Oedipus, who knew nothing. Yet I finished her off using my wits rather than relying on birds. That's the man you want to overthrow. Hoping, no doubt, to stand up there with Creon once he's king. But I think you and your conspirator in this will regret trying to usurp the state. If you did not look so old, you'd find the punishment your arrogance deserves. To us, it sounds as if Tiresias has spoken in anger, and Oedipus, you have done so too. That's not what we need. Instead, we should be looking into this. How can we best carry out the gods' decree? You may be king, but I have the right to answer you, and I control that right, for I am not your slave. I serve Apollo, and thus will never stand with Creon signed up as his man. So I say this to you, since you have chosen to insult my blindness, you have your eyesight, and you do not see how miserable you are, or where you live, or who it is who shares your household. Do you know the family you come from? Without your knowledge, you've become the enemy of your own kindred, those in the world below and those up here, and the dreadful feet of that two-edged curse from father and mother both will drive you from this land in exile. Those eyes of yours, which now can see so clearly, will be dark. What harbour will not echo with your cries? Where on Sithiron will they not soon be heard? Once you have learned the truth about the wedding by which you sailed into this royal household. A lovely voyage, but the harbour's doomed. You've no idea of the quantity of other troubles which will render you and your own children equals. So go on. Keep insulting Creon and my prophecies, for among all living mortals, no one will be destroyed more wretchedly than you. Must I tolerate this insolence from him? Get out! And may the plague get rid of you! Off with you! Now! Turn your back and go! And don't come back here to my home again! I would not have come, but you summoned me. I did not know you would speak so stupidly. If I had, you would have waited a long time before I called you here. I was born like this. You think I am a fool, but to your parents, the ones who made you, I was wise enough. Wait. My parents. Who was my father? This day will reveal that and destroy you. Everything you speak is all so cryptic, like a riddle. Well, in solving riddles, are you not the best there is? 
Mock, my excellence, but you will find out I am truly great. <laughs> that quality of yours now ruins you. I do not care if I have saved the city. I will go now. Boy, lead me away. Yes, let him guide you back. You're in the way. If you stay, you'll just provoke me. Once you're gone, you won't annoy me further. I'm going. But first I shall tell you why I came. I do not fear the face of your displeasure. There is no way you can destroy me. I tell you, the man you have been seeking all this time while proclaiming threats and issuing orders about the one who murdered Laius, that man is here. According to reports, he is a stranger who lives here in Thebes, but he will prove to be a native Theban. From that change he will derive no pleasure. He will be blind, although he now can see. He will be poor, although he now is rich. He will set off for a foreign country, groping the ground before him with a stick and he will turn out to be the brother of the children in his house, their father too, both at once, and the husband and the son of the very woman who gave birth to them. He sowed the same womb as his father and murdered him. Go in and think on this. If you discover I have spoken falsely, you can say I lack all skill in prophecy. Speaking from the Delphic Rock, the oracular voice intoned a name. But who is the man? The one who with his blood-red hands has done unspeakable brutality. The time has come for him to flee, to move his powerful foot more swiftly than those hooves on horses riding on the storm. Against him, Zeus's son now springs, armed with lightning fire, and leading on the inexorable and terrifying furies. From the snowy peaks of Mount Parnassus the message has just flashed, ordering all to seek the one whom no one knows. Like a wild bull he wanders now, hidden in the untamed wood, through rocks and caves, alone with his despair on joyless feet, keeping his distance from that doom uttered at the earth's central navel stone. But that fatal oracle still lives, hovering above his head forever. That wise interpreter of prophecies stirs up my fears, unsettling dread. I cannot approve of what he said, and I cannot deny it. I am confused. What shall I say? My hopes flutter here and there, with no clear glimpse of past or future. I've never heard of any quarreling past or present between those two, the house of Labdicus and Polybus's son, which could give me evidence enough to undermine the fame of Oedipus, as he seeks vengeance for the unsolved murder for the family of Labdicus. Apollo and Zeus are truly wise. They understand what humans do. 
But there is no sure way to ascertain if human prophets grasp things any more than I do, although in wisdom one man may leave another far behind. But until I see the words confirmed, I will not approve of any man who censures Oedipus, for it was clear when that winged sphinx went after him he was a wise man then. We witnessed it. He passed the test and endeared himself to all the city. So in my thinking now, he never will be guilty of a crime. You have been listening to Act One of Chatterbox Audio Theater's production of Oedipus the King by Sophocles, translated by Ian Johnston, featuring Tim Greer as Oedipus, Kenan Keplinger as Creon, Barry Fuller as Tiresias, and Bill Andrews and Jennifer Henry as the chorus. Music by Jonathan Saunders. Dramaturgy and script consulting by David Sick. Assistant produced by James Antoine. Produced by Eric Sefton. Assistant directed by Amy Salerno-Hale. Directed by Robert Arnold. The mission of Chatterbox Audio Theater is sparking imaginations through outstanding theatrical recordings. Download our shows, meet our cast and crew, and make a donation to support our work at www.chatterboxtheater.com. Org. All right, Oedipus, not so happy there. Uh, act one of Oedipus the King by Chatterbox Audio Theater, um, chatterboxtheater.org, Chatterbox Theater ER, spelled like the emoticons that they are. Um, yeah, Chatterbox has done um, dozens and dozens of shows here, um, big supporters of Radio Drama Revival, and we're big supporters of them. Um, love that Robert Arnold and his team is doing. Thank you all, your Chatterboxers. We will catch you up with you next week for Act 2. Um, in the meantime, over 250 hours of original audio drama programming at radiodramarevival.com. You can follow us on Twitter, at Radio Drama, Facebook, uh, Radio Drama Revival. Um, find us on iTunes or Stitcher. Search for Radio Drama. We're coming up um, both those places. And if you are so moved, please leave a review. Um, this is uh, totally volunteer-supported and supported uh, with no marketing budget except for you telling your friends enjoying this um, and getting the word out so thanks so much for all that you do alright and that's a wrap for this week copyright of individual shows remains that are original producers but do please share this show as far and widely as you like Radio Drum Revival originates on on-air radio at WMPG Southern Maine's Community Radio it is podcast at RadioDramaRevival.com is a labor of love till next time keep your mind and your ears open thanks for tuning in and have a great week <laughs>